Lord, I just thank you now for the opportunity and privilege to open up your word. Apostle Paul told Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Pray, O Lord, your word would be handled rightly tonight. Pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you have spoken to the churches. Pray that No one in this room, Lord, would have a dead faith, but a faith that is vibrant, alive, working for you. So minister to us tonight, we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to James chapter 2. Martin Luther is the famous... German reformer, and he proclaimed that, according to the Bible, and contrary to Catholic doctrine, we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And because of that, and because he kind of had a temper and sometimes said things he probably shouldn't have said... He, Martin Luther also one time called the book of James an epistle of straw because it appears at some points that James contradicts Paul. In fact, in uh, our text today, James will say that we're justified by works and not by faith alone. And uh, it really bothered him. In fact, one time he said that anyone who could work out how James and Paul could agree he would give them his doctor his, his you know his doctor his doctoral hat they could figure it out is James in contradiction with Paul my answer to you is no no and we're going to look and examine that tonight but i got three points from our text tonight and it's really just the same point put three different ways and i got a little out of control so here they are Faith that is workless is worthless. Faith just in your head is good as dead. And number three, faith that makes no waves makes you unsaved. So again, faith that is workless is worthless. Faith that is just in your head is good as dead. And faith that makes no waves makes you unsaved. But first... Faith that is workless is worthless. You know what? I totally skipped. I hadn't, we hadn't even read our text yet. So, if you've got a Bible and if you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. As we read our text from James chapter 2, verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The word of God. You may be seated. So number one here, faith that is workless is worthless. Uh, This is certainly the most controversial passage in the entire book of James. Uh, And before we go and compare him to Paul, which we'll do at the end, but we really need to begin to examine James on his own terms, on uh, in the own context of his own book. Before we before we do that, and in this passage where James is uh, explaining the relationship between faith, works, and our justification, it's important to note here that James isn't really isn't really starting a new topic here. Okay, so you, you got to read him in his own context first before you immediately start comparing him to Paul. If you think about it, all James is doing here is saying the same things he said earlier, but just in a different way. Because earlier what James said is he says, what good is being a hearer of the word if you're not also a doer of the word? So it's almost, the, the parallel is almost exact. In, this, in the same way, all James is saying is this, what good is saying you have faith if, you don't, if your faith doesn't actually work itself out in acts of love and service and obedience. And so in the same way, don't be a hearer only, but a doer also. In the same way, don't just say you have faith, but you must also have works. He's just, in this whole section, he's just kind of reiterating in new language what he's been talking about uh, since, really since verse 19 of chapter 1. Now, in verse 14 here, chapter 2, verse 14... James opens up this uh, uh, passage with two questions. He says, he says, first of all, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then he asks this, can that, can that faith save him? Well, I think already in verse 14, we, we get a, l- a little clue, some pointers to kind of help us understand what James is talking about here and and how he's not really contradicting Paul. And that is that throughout the passage, it seems to me that what James is, when he says faith, and when he says justified by works and not by faith alone, what he in, what he is meaning by faith there is, a, is this false concept of faith. Because in verse 14 it says, he doesn't say, what good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? But what does it say? If someone says he has faith. If someone says he has faith, and then it says, but no works. And then it says, can, and then it says, can that faith save him? It's a, 
I think, I think that's the right translation. There's an article there, and it's probably right to understand that as a, as a, or, or pre, he's referring to the previous kind of faith. Can, so what good is it if a man says he ha, has faith can, without works? Can that kind of faith, that is, can the kind of faith that a person says they have but no works, can that kind of faith save them? James says, no, it can't. And so I think if you read it in that light, and if you read the rest of the references to faith in this passage as not a full-bodied faith is what the, the way Paul would use faith, the term faith, but the way James is meaning it is a false faith, a faith without itself, a faith without works. Can that faith save? And James says, no, it can, but I believe Paul would agree. And James supports this first question here that he has of what good is faith without works? That's what he says. What, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And he supports this with an example. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? And now, <laughs> You see someone, and he's talking, and, and specifically here, he's talking about somebody in the church, a member of the church, and they don't have the basic needs for the body. And he says, you look at them, and you see this need, and you even give them a little pious blessing. Be warned, my friend. God bless you. God bless you. I'm not going to do anything to help you, but God bless you. James says, what good is it? What good is that? If our Christian faith doesn't actually change our lives, what good is it? It's no good. If what good is the overabundance that God has blessed us with, if we don't actually use it to meet the needs of others, to serve others, to bless others, like we've been blessed. James uh, James obviously references this, I believe, because he is just, uh, in, our, in our discussion on partiality, he, he had the whole discussion about, about how you treat the poor within the church body. Apparently, this was a serious problem within the community that he is talking to. One of the basic moral requirements of the Christian community is to care for the needy among us. And if our faith, James says, doesn't even cause us to do that, then James says, I'm not so sure about your faith. I'm not so sure about it. Faith that is workless, James says, is worthless. It literally does no good. If you say you have faith, but you don't work it out in your life, it, you, you literally, you do no good. Because you're not doing anything. Faith must work itself out in our lives. It must change us. It must, it must cause us to, to serve others. And not only, it does no good in that, but it doesn't, it doesn't do any good in helping other people. It doesn't do any good in showing the beauty and power of the gospel. It doesn't do any good in pointing people to Christ. It doesn't even do good, it doesn't even do good for our soul. Right? In fact, this, the kind of faith that James is talking about is deadly. It's, it's, it's deadly because it's this kind of faith that I'm afraid a lot of people have that's just enough faith where they think they're saved. 
and they're not. And that, you're, you would be in a better position if you knew you were lost than to think that you're saved when you're really not. A workless faith cannot save. And Jesus, in the book of Revelation, rebuked the church at Laodicea. This is what he said. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, literally vomit you, out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now, in our day, we tend to think of cold as bad and hot as good. But really, most likely in their day, they would have understood it like this. That, that cold water, for example, cold water has use. It's refreshing. Hot water has use. You can cook. You can bathe in it. So cold is good and hot is good. But lukewarm is useless. So, Jesus, yes, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, six-foot-three Jesus comes to the church at Laodicea, and he's not stroking a little lamb. He's saying, I will, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth if you don't repent of your uselessness. And you see what he tells them? He says, you think you're rich. You're blessed. You think you have everything going for you. You think, you think you're just fine. But you're lukewarm. You serve no purpose. Jesus and James agree that faith that is workless is worthless. So faith that is workless is worthless. And number two, faith that's just in your head is good as dead. Verse 18, James says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James here, you know, he's just carrying on this same idea that this whole section has that faith without works is useless that it uh, is dead, that it's unsaving. And what James here does, it, and it, if you read the commentaries, it, it kind of makes the passage a little bit hard to, to determine where the punctuation should go. But he introduces what's called an interlocutor, a, a, a fictional opponent. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have work. So he introduces this fictional opponent and it's a, it's a well-known ancient uh, rhetorical device where you introduce a fictional opponent and you argue with them to kind of, to kind of um, address, uh, address arguments that people might make against you. And so this is what James is doing. And this, this, uh, this person comes, James is kind of positing, and, and he says, you, you have faith and I have works. 
In other words, what he seems to be saying is, someone might say, someone might say to James, well, no, it's like the, the, the Apostle Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul said there was such thing as the gift of faith. It may be that I have faith and you have works. I got something good going on. You got something good going on. You know, I have faith, you have works. You know, everything's good. And James says, no, it's not good. Because, because one cannot validate the reality of one's faith apart from works. In other words, there is no biblical category for works without faith or faith without works. You can't, you can't have one without the other. And so you can't disjoint them and say, well, oh, I have faith and oh, I have, but I have works. That's not how it works. They always go together. To have, if you have faith, you must have works. You can't have one without the other. You can't prove, you can't, you can't show the validity of your faith apart from your works. And faith without works is really no faith at all. And even more than that, James goes further to show the absurdity of someone who would simply say, well, I have faith apart from works. And it's brilliant if you think about it because he brings up an incredible example. Demons. Demons. Right? It's really the perfect example. Why? Because as far as we can tell, demons are fallen angels. What does that mean about demons? It means that demons once lived in the presence of God. Every demon that exists has... Demons have better theology than anybody in this room. They know who God is. He says, in verse 19, James says, You believe that God is one. You do well. God, God, you believe that God is one. That, that is called what the Hebrews call the Shema. It's the most foundational teaching of that, that every, even the smallest little, little Jewish little boy would know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the most basic doctrinal truth that there is. And James is talking to this person and he's saying, you believe God is one. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, you believe the most foundational truth about God. You believe this, this very true doctrinal statement that there is one God and God is one. He said, but guess what? Demons believe that. Demons know that. In fact, demons know way more than that. Demons have better theology than all of us. They've stood in the presence of God. But guess what? The demons believe that, and they're not saved. Ain't a single demon going to be in heaven. The Bible says they don't have a chance to repent, but we do. It's not enough to know stuff about God. Knowledge about God cannot save you. Mere knowledge about God cannot save you. And James adds here that the demons believe and shudder. It, it's, not, it's not clear, but it's possible here that James intends a little bit of irony or maybe, maybe even a little bit of sarcasm. He's saying that even... Even the demons believe the truth enough 
that at least it makes them shudder. They're scared because they know what's going to happen to them. Even they believe enough to shudder at God, and yet your belief in God doesn't even make you do a thing. Is that really the kind of faith you want to have, the faith of demons? (laughs) To know a little bit about God, but have it not changed your life at all? Faith that's just in your head is good as dead. Mere knowledge of God is not enough, and it's and it, it's dangerous. Now, they're, now, they're, now our world is changing. There's no doubt about that. There's more people today than has ever been in our country that outright deny God that are more or less biblically illiterate. But nevertheless, still along the Bible belt, and especially here in Eastman and in, in many rural places along the Bible belt, there's a lot of people who know just enough about the Bible, who know just enough about Jesus, who know just enough Christianese that if you ask them, are you a Christian? They say, oh yeah, I believe in the man upstairs. I'm good. I'm saved. I'm good to go. But after that profession, there's virtually zero evidence that shows that Christ is in their life. In fact, there may be a lot of evidence to the contrary. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that keeping Christ's commands saves you. I don't think that's what James is saying. But Jesus did say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the problem here that James is trying to address, and the thing that I think we too, we must be careful as Christians, our job as Christians is not to try to get unbelievers to act like believers. Our job as Christians is not moral reform. Being good can't save you and has never saved anybody. We're saved by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. The problem that James is addressing and the problem that we have to address are are the people who profess Christ. The people who claim Christ, the people who claim to be a brother, but their actions do not line up. That's, what, that's the question that James is addressing here. And it's a, real, it's a serious problem. It's a, it's a serious problem. It's, and so we, we do, we have to examine ourselves. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves. Peter said to make your calling and election sure. To test yourself and whether you have truly received the Spirit, whether you have truly been changed, whether you've truly had a change of heart and life through your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about this. In fact, he took it a notch further than James does in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus here takes it even further. 
because Jesus here is explicitly references people who not just claim to have faith, but people who apparently did some work in Jesus' name. Maybe even did some miracles in Jesus' name. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, look what all we did in your name. And he said, I don't know you. What was, what was those people's faith? We don't know. We don't know. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was self-aggrandizement. Maybe it was seeking personal gain or advantage. It happened all the time in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, people used religion for societal gain and advantage. We don't know how these, pe- how these people might come to Jesus on the last day and say this, but it's very clear that there will be people who will profess, Lord, Lord, who will say, look at all I've done in Jesus' name. And then Jesus says, I never knew you. And so, in view of this, we really have to examine and to ask ourselves, do I have a living faith? Is my faith alive or is it just a profession? Is it dead? When's the last time I was convicted of sin? When's the last time that I consciously made a decision saying, no, I'm not going to do this, but I am going to do this because of my fear of God. When's the last time, when's the last time that, that something in our life changed because of our faith? If there is some sin in my life right now at the present, am I convicted of it? Do I even care that it's there? If there's something in my life right now that I know that is sin and I don't even care, why don't I care? If I don't care about pleasing Christ, then in what sense can I call myself a Christian? We have to ask ourselves, we have to examine ourselves, is my faith alive? Does does faith in Christ actually change me? And my plea tonight is this, is that if you're not sure, if you don't know, the answer is not to try harder, try to do better. The answer is to come to Jesus. We don't work to earn our salvation. We work because we've been saved. We don't, we work not so God would owe us salvation, but we work to please the God who has saved us. When you're saved, believe me, you'll want to work for God. When you're saved, believe me, there'll be conviction of the Holy Spirit because of your sin. When, you're, when you see what Jesus has done for us, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus didn't come to die for righteous people. It's, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says a shocking thing. It says Christ came to justify the ungodly. He came for ungodly people so that when we turn to him through faith when we turn from our sin and believe in him and out of just joy and gratitude for the forgiveness that he gives us through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead bible says we're filled with the holy spirit and we change and our lives change and it it, we work not be to be saved but because we are saved come to christ 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, and you will be saved. But faith that's just in our head is as good as dead. Being able to quote John 3.16 can't save you. Praying a prayer one time can't save you. Getting dunked in some water can't save you. None of these things have an ounce of saving power unless they are empowered by faith and repentance and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that trusts and loves God from the heart. So a workless faith is a worthless faith. Faith just in your head is good as dead. And finally, faith that makes no waves makes you unsaved. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we finally arrive here. To the most controversial part of this passage. And it, and it appears, especially there in verse 24, where James says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. <laughs> I mean, when you read it, it just it seems like he's contradicting Paul. It's problematic because and not only is that not only is that statement itself problematic for us, but he defends that statement by referencing Abraham. Referencing Abraham and the the verse specifically that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why is it so problematic? Well, it's problematic because Paul uses the same exact verse to make it would seem almost the exact opposite point. And in Romans 4, 9 through 11, it says this. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after. But before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So, what James, what Paul is arguing there is he's using that whole illustration to argue that Abraham was justified by faith before he did the work of circumcision. He was justified by faith before that, before any works, apart, totally apart from works. Abraham was justified by faith. And yet it's the same thing that James talks about here. And he says we're justified by works and not by faith alone. So how are we to, to contradict, the, how are we to explain the two? The answer, I think, is pretty straightforward, and it's this. James, got, James is writing before Paul. And so 
we're wrong, we'd be wrong to assume that James is using the exact same language that Paul is, or he means the words in the exact same way that Paul does. Because as far as we know, and, and from the book of Galatians, we know that Paul did not even have any type of intimate connection with the Jerusalem church for a long time after his conversion. We talked about that when we studied Galatians. So there's not, there's not a close familiarity between James and Paul. And, so, and James is writing before Paul. And so we can't assume that James is using the same words in the same way. And I believe that James, what he's doing is he's using the word justify in a different way than the way Paul is using, is using it. Remember, words have what's called semantic range. They have a range of meaning. When I say I'm running, and when I say my refrigerator's running, I mean two different things, right? But you understand it because of context. But words have a range of meaning. In the same way, justify has a range of meaning. It can mean a forensic, legal declaration of righteousness. That is, by faith in Christ, God declares us righteous despite all of our sin. Praise the Lord. And he forgives us of our sin and he declares us righteous before him through faith in Christ. It can be used in a legal, forensic way as a declaration of righteousness. That's how Paul uses the terms. But justify can also mean to vindicate at the judgment. To vindicate at the judgment. To to, to show, to be proof, to, to, to acquit you at the day of judgment because of your good works. And let me give you some examples. In Micah 6.11, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses the same word justify when it says, Shall I acquit or justify, shall I acquit or justify the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Shall... Shall, shall God justify such a person? Shall he acquit such a person from, from that, the evil in their heart? Or, or how about this in Matthew 12, 36 and 37? He says, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. You see, if we take every meaning of justification the same, then we would have to say that Jesus is teaching justification by works. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is what Jesus is saying is that, is that there is, a, as we talked about last time, there is a judgment at the last day. And we are vindic- in the last day of judgment, we are vindicated by our works. Our faith is shown to be real and valid and true. And we will have, been, we will have shown that our faith was the right thing to do. And that we, our, our good works will testify on our behalf on the last day of judgment. They will, they will justify us in that sense. And so, so Paul looks at justification and he uses it looking mainly to the past. We are justified in the past by, or, or, by faith alone through Christ alone. As an act of faith, we are justified by God. Where, where James is primarily looking to the future, not to the past, but he's looking to the future. And he's saying, what kind of life lived will justify me on the last day? And, and so the difference is this. It says, Paul is saying that we enter into a right relationship with God by faith alone. But what James is saying is he's telling us what that right relationship looks like. 
And what kind of life is going to receive God's final approval on the last day? So they're looking two different directions. And they're not using it the exact same way. And we know, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Paul agrees with James about, about faith must produce works. Because he talks about it all the time. We read the passage this morning where, where Paul explicitly says that, that the sexually immoral and idolaters and all these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you live a certain life, it is, it would, if you live a certain life, you can't be saved. The reason for that is because if you, if you live that life wholly, your whole life in unrepentantly, it means you never trusted in Christ. Because if you'd ever trusted in Christ, your life would change. We know Paul understood that faith requires obedience. Romans 1.5, it says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You see, Paul had no category for faith without obedience. His mission, his job as an apostle was to not just bring about faith, but he says to bring about the obedience of faith. People who believe such that they obey. In, in Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither uncircumcision, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see that? Paul has no category for faith without works. Faith must work through love. That's all that matters is you have faith that works itself out of your life in acts of love to God and love to neighbor. So what's the point? The point is faith that makes no waves makes you unsaved. If you have faith, you'll want to obey Christ. And you'll do good in the love of God and the fear of Christ. And, and what will happen is that as you do that, and as, as you truly believe, what will happen is that on the last day, your good works will vindicate you. Remember the parable that Jesus told? Jesus taught this too. He taught the same exact thing. He, it says on the last day, he'll, shep, he'll, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. And he told he tells to the ones on his right hand. He said, uh, "He said, you you visited me in prison. You fed me. You cared for me when I was sick. You, you and and they'll say, when did we do that, Lord? And he said, when you when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Then what does he say? Enter to the joy of your master. Right? But then he says, you did you didn't do this. You didn't do this. You didn't do this. And then they say, well, when did I didn't do that? And he said, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me." Is Jesus teaching salvation by works? No, he's saying that a a Christian life will produce good works. And and guess what? On that last day, those works will vindicate you. Everything you did out of faith in Christ, in love and service to others, Jesus will come up to you and he's going to say, I was watching and I remember it. And you remember that time you helped that person who was hungry and you fed them? That was me. I was hungry and you fed me. It'll... They'll vindicate, it'll prove, it'll validate us on the last day that we belong to Christ. And that's what James is telling us, that we can't just say we have faith. But you show your faith without your works, and James says, I'll show you mine by my works. And by them, we'll stand vindicated, justified on the last day. 
And so my plea tonight is simply this. You tonight, if there's any, I don't know, in this room. And I, your faith, you just wonder, is it dead? Is it alive? I don't know. There's, there's one solution. It's simply this. Just come to Christ. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Turn from your sins. He'll come into you. He'll change you. He'll empower you to live for Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your truth.